Hey there, friends. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to invite you to our next Collaboration Zone Zoom party. This is a free Zoom chat get together with all of my entrepreneur friends in the Rise and Recovery Network, where we can share mind and business growth tips, strategies, and you get to network with other entrepreneurs of all experience levels. So if you want to level up your business and get connected, book your spot today. Head on over to www. The road forward slash collaboration zone. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey guys, what's happening? Tamar here from the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. Thanks for joining me. Now, today we have another great guest and this is going to be really focused on fitness in recovery. We're going to be chatting with my friend Danny Shelton from D&D Fitness and Nutrition. And speaking of fitness and nutrition, if you've listened to any of my previous podcast episodes, which was The Road to Health, you would know that I had tried many different kinds of strategies. Some worked, some didn't. I was very open and vulnerable about my journey because I believe that it's really tied in with my journey in recovery because really, I mean, I have been a chronic yo-yo dieter since my early 20s, late teens, I would say. And so that's been a big part of my life. And Recently, and I'm going to record a podcast episode about this soon, um, I have been diving into the world of intuitive eating. And I think that it was, you know, suitable to talk about this before today's episode that, you know, for so long, I have always had this diet mentality. And even when I've been trying different strategies for not limiting myself, not depriving myself, in a way, and it was pointed out to me by a good friend of mine recently that even when I was doing, say, carb cycling, right, which is something that I actually enjoyed because I felt like I was getting my good days and, you know, there was days where I had to eat a little bit lower carbs and I could plan it around my workout schedule. You know, when I really thought about it and I really started reflecting on that, those two low carb days, I was really depriving myself, right? And the what would happen is I would go out for dinner and I would start thinking, okay, well, I got to have an appy, I got to have my favorite greasy meal, and then I'm going to have a dessert because tomorrow is going to be my low carb day, right? Or, or I'm, I'm heading into a lower carb um, couple days. And so, you know, in this book that I'm reading about intuitive eating, they talk about the last supper mentality. And honestly, guys, I can't remember a time where I did not have that mentality, where there has not been a part of my week that I've been thinking, okay, what could I eat? Because on Monday, I'm going to get back on track or tomorrow I'm going to get back on track. And so I've been into my first week as I record this episode of intuitive eating, and I'm going to get into it a little bit more because I think it does correlate really well with my journey into entrepreneurship, having more focus, having more clarity, not having brain fog. Um, So my health is incredibly important, but also because of today's episode that we're going to be talking about fitness and recovery and how many of us in early recovery, we dive into fitness 100%. And I did the same thing as well, but I did it to excess. So I have really had to change the way I think. And now I'm incorporating that in to intuitive eating and I thought I'd share an experience. I went out with a friend for dinner last night and I went to a restaurant where they have, I kid you not, probably the biggest menu that I've ever seen with so many different selections. It's got amazing food, but then you have to pick one or two sides. Now, 
Normally, you know, you have your standard list of sides, you know, the salad, the french fries, maybe some asparagus or cauliflower bites, whatever you have. This restaurant had 27 sides, 27. So of course, as I'm going through this, I decided to pick something totally different because I thought, okay, I'm not starting again on Monday, right? I'm not on a diet right now. I can eat what I want. I can always come back if I don't like the meal. And so I ordered the chicken Parmesan and I was looking through and I was struggling to find a side and I thought, no, I'm going to pick something different, right? So I, I did the bacon and cheddar um, smashed potatoes and I started eating like I've been practicing, right? Where I've been having conversation, I put my fork down and I'm sure a lot of you already know this kind of stuff. But for me, it was always like, oh, I love this. I love the taste. Let's get it in. Let's get it in and let's have the uh, dessert. Well, I ate half my meal because I recognized that my stomach was starting to get full. It's it's very big portion. So I figured, hey, good, I can have this tomorrow again. And I left myself enough room for dessert. And I only ate half the dessert as well, which is a very new experience for me. If you've ever heard me talk about food before on the show, you will know I'm a huge foodie. I love going out for dinner with friends. I'm just, I I get so enthusiastic. I'm, I'm, I would like to state that I'm probably one of the more enthusiastic dinner partners out there um, because I always appreciate a good meal. But, you know, I went into the evening last night knowing that I'm, I can come back anytime I want, right? I'm not on a diet for the next three months. This isn't my last supper. And knowing that I could try anything on the menu and that if I didn't like it, I could always come back next week or even, you know, the next day if I wanted to. And it really shifted my eating pattern, right? I ate half my meal. Like I said, I ate half the dessert. I came home not stuffed and I had a really good sleep. So I just wanted to share that experience because like I said, we're talking about fitness and nutrition today. And I think that, you know, this has been a really import, uh, important part of my journey to get to is the learning how not to have the diet mentality anymore. And like, guys, I literally got rid of all the apps on my phone, all the tracking apps other than my fitness. I have some, a yoga app. I have a resistance band training app. So the only one I have is for activities that I can do at home um, that help it with that. But I, you know, I remember pushing the delete, you know, and it was, it was, you know, I, I kind of look back to when I stopped drinking, right? When I had that last drink and when you give up things for the first time, right? Like when I gave up smoking the same thing, it was that last cigarette. Well, I remember pushing the button and it said, okay, are you sure you're going to delete all your information, your history, right? And there was a little bit of attachment to that, right? There was that little feeling of loss, but I just thought, and I paused for a second thinking, oh my God, I'm going to lose all my history, like all my tracking, all the hard work I've done, like that's gone. Um, But I did it. I deleted all the apps. Um, I'm going to really, really work hard on this part of my my journey through learning how to intuitively eat. I'm excited about it. So I just wanted to share that. And um, yeah, I'm going to be diving a little bit deeper and how that kind of goes along with my recovery in a future episode. Now, joining me today is Danny Shelton from D&D Fitness and Nutrition, which he runs with his fiance. I think it's amazing that they do this together. And he talks about how fitness really helped him in his early recovery because he found that connection. He found that fellowship. And so he talks about that part of his journey. And, you know, I could so relate because I, of course, started my journey before I even got sober with fitness. And I, I believe that for me, it was an addiction at first. Now, it was a, mind you, it was a healthier addiction, but it is also, you know, it took me a while to get out of that mentality of having to only eat specific foods. But he talks about how, you know, working out, being around other people in recovery really helped. And I think it does help a lot of people, right, if you do it properly. And so, of course, you know, this inspired him to get involved in fitness at a deeper level. And he really believes that fitness has improved his own recovery. So you're going to get to hear how his journey started, how he got into fitness, how he owns his own business now and how he is thriving through it. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. So let's dive into it. 
Welcome back, everybody. I'm hanging out with my friend, Danny Shelton from D&D Fitness and Nutrition. How you doing? You know, not too bad. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so grateful you're here. And we've been chatting for a while now, so we probably should have been recording all that because I think there was some good stuff there. But <laughs> why don't we, um, you know, get into a little bit about who you are today and what it is that you do? Yeah, so... Um... I am somebody who has been in long-term recovery for three and a half years. Uh, my sober date is 9-16 of 2017. Um, and so obviously September 16th, I'll be at four years. I don't really count the days anymore, or the months or any of that. I just know that it's somewhere between three and four, right? Um, but the thing that I do is I am an online fitness instructor and an online nutrition coach. Um, and I'll kind of get into a little bit of, of why I do that and how that came to be, because it's, it's actually, it's got a lot to do with my recovery. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, should I get into my story now or? Yeah, let's get back. Let's go way back. Maybe not the day when you were like a purple little baby and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. But I always like to talk about, you know, like what was life growing up for people? Because for me, my story was not about trauma. I had a very loving family. Life was very good for me. Yeah. I just, when I drank for the first time, I fell in love, right? I couldn't stop. And so what was life like growing up for you? You know, I had an incredible life. Um, I'll be the first one to tell you that, you know, no parents do things perfect. Obviously, there are things that, that my parents wish they had done differently at this point in their lives. Um, but I did not grow up in an abusive situation. Um, I, I grew up with loving parents. I, I grew up uh, very, very financially stable. Um, and, and if anything, you know, my, my dad is probably getting to a place where he's going to be able to retire at a very early age and, and, and just doing very well. And so I, I did not grow up in, in the hood. I didn't have anyone beating me up. I was not sexually abused. Um, and I agree, that's something that's very, very common with addicts, but that just wasn't my story. Um, so for me, I grew up in California until I was about 12 years old. And then we moved to Utah. And, and that is just the time when things really changed for me. So, so in California, you know, I had all the people that I had been friends with my entire life and, and my family's LDS, they're, they're Mormons. And so, and so I was part of this church group and I had friends that I had had since I was probably two years old. Right. And then we come to Utah and it was very, very different. Um, so I, I didn't realize that I was somebody who struggles with making friends until all of a sudden I come into a position at a very young age and I really, really struggle to make friends. Um, and, and I just, you know, for the first time in my life, I was very, very aware of the fact that I was not cool. And, and this is, these are just the thoughts that are going through my mind. You know what I mean? Um, but, but at a very young age, all of a sudden I'm finding myself in this position where I feel very, very alone. And then for me, unfortunately, um, my ego defects defense mechanism was very off-putting. Um, and so the way that I compensated for that was with extreme arrogance, meaning I was, I was going out of my way and it was, it was horrible the way I did it. Uh, but I, I would go out of my way to make you feel worse about yourself, to make me look better. And, and tell you, like, I was the one upper and I was that I'm better at this than you are and you are terrible at this. And, and again, as a, as a teenager, like, I didn't know any better, but it, it was really, really bad and just a ton of negative self-talk. And I wish that there was more self-talk happening, but there wasn't. It was just a ton of apathy and a ton of arrogance. And it was just, it was gross. And then on top of that, so my parents are, are very, very religious. Um, I don't want to say anything negative about the LDS church for, for a lot of LDS people, right? They, they live an incredible life and, and that religion does help 
build a community of very, very high quality people, right? For me, though, where I was in this situation already where I did not feel good about myself, I did not feel good about who I was as a person. And my parents' solution was, well, we're just going to try and shove more and more gospel doctrine down his throat. And we're going to try and push these very religious rules. So the LDS faith is definitely a very structured religion and they, and they want to tell you the way that you're supposed to act. And so, you know, you hear about Mormons not drinking caffeine and not drinking coffee and not shopping on Sundays. Uh, but my parents kind of took it to the extreme a little bit on Sundays. I remember as a teenager, absolutely hating Sundays because I was not allowed to watch TV. I was not allowed to go out with friends at all. The only thing that we could do on Sundays was go to church and read scripture. And as a teenager, that's awful. And now as a teenager with ADD, it's even worse. And so I just got very, very resentful and got very, very rebellious. Um, because as you can imagine, like, again, you've just got kind of a volatile mixture of just unhappy teenager who's not comfortable with himself, got uprooted at the age of 12 and can't make any friends. You know what I mean? And, and then you mix it in with a whole lot of religious stuff that I didn't understand and that I didn't really want any part of, you know what I mean? And so it, it just created a lot of tension in the family, but even still, there was no trauma involved. I just, you know, for, for no real reason, it wasn't bad parenting. I just developed a, a very, very stark negative relationship with myself. So it was unfortunate that it worked like that. Um, and so anyways, I moved out of the house as quickly as possible because I didn't want to follow the rules anymore. Yeah. Um, as, as you can imagine, like, so I was, I was somebody who, you know, I graduated at 17. I graduated a year early and I got out because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to have the curfew. I didn't want to have the rules. I didn't want to have any of that stuff. And so I moved out as quickly as I can. And the way that I did it was actually by enlisting into the military. Okay. Um, so I was in the military and I, I did spend three and a half years in the military. Now, don't let me don't let me put any false ideas in your head about how noble of a person I am or any of that. Let's be very, very clear here. Okay. I was 18 years old. I had absolutely nowhere to go. And the military was offering a $20,000 sign on bonus. So it was not patriotic. I was not trying and, and it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't trying to be violent or aggressive either. But, you know, I, I did not join the military to serve my country and be a patriot and, and do things for other people. That wasn't it. I needed somebody to pay my bills because I didn't want to go home. So if I'm being super honest, that's how that worked. Um, and maybe if I had gone into that with better intentions, then maybe there's a possibility that my results from that experience would have been very, very different, right? Uh, but they weren't. And what ended up happening is, is that's kind of what led me down kind of a scary pathway. Okay. And so I come, I come back and, and I, you know, I've been deployed a couple of times and, and I come back and I start struggling with this thing called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and, and generally speaking, so this is back in like 2010. Okay. When, when, Vietnam happened, PTSD was something that we just kind of brushed under the table and ignored. Okay. That is not the case today. Today, if, if you get that PTSD diagnosis in the military, they take it very, very seriously. Right. So immediately I'm in this thing called the yellow ribbon program. I'm seeing therapists on a very consistent basis. I'm seeing psychiatrists. And uh, one of the major things that they do for a lot of people that are struggling with PTSD is they start to medicate them. And so, and so this is, this is kind of the time of my life where all of a sudden I have people that are willing to feed me pills to make me happy. It's like, oh, cool. And uh, you know, this is, you know, 2010 is kind of when the opioid epidemic is first starting, but we don't know yet. It's not what it is today. 
like, like your doctors are still giving out pain medication for headaches at that point, because they don't know any better. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I, I went through and that was kind of that. And I think this is probably a moment that most people go through, but that was my aha moment is, is I got a prescription for lorazepam and, and I, all of a sudden I was like, oh, everything's okay now. Now I want to feel more okay. Cause for the first time in my life, all of a sudden I felt okay with who I was and, and I felt comfortable in my own skin and I didn't have to worry about the fact that I had no friends and that, you know, I had these overbearing parents whom I love dearly. Sorry, mom and dad. But, uh, but it's just, you know, I, I, for the first, I had arrived, you know what I mean? Like I was okay. Um, but that okay didn't last very long and I needed to be more okay. And so 2010, it was still an option to do this thing called doctor shopping. Um, not something you're going to get away with in the, in the United States today, because they have a whole lot of systems in place to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, but back then, you know, I was, I was getting these psych medications and pain medications from probably three or four different doctors. And, and don't get me wrong, like they still had some systems in place, but I was able to do that for four to six months. But then all of a sudden I got caught and I get red flagged and everything is cut off. They cut off all my prescriptions. And what I didn't realize at the time is that I had developed a physical addiction which, uh, you know, for many of us, we don't really recognize that or know that until all of a sudden we don't have access to the stuff anymore. And we start getting sick and very, very uncomfortable and it wasn't fun. And so that's, that's where there was a, there was a big shift in a big transition at this point in my life. Okay. Um, with the doctor shopping thing, I ended up getting discharged from the military. I got very lucky not to get a dishonorable discharge, but it was still a, so, cause a dishonorable discharge in the United States army is a felony, but, uh, it was still a less than honorable discharge. And so I, I certainly was never going to be allowed to go back into the military. Um, but they, they booted me out of the military and I am pretty much left to my own devices of how to figure out how to make money and, and trying to figure out how to live life and all these things. Um, and, and I just have the option of like, okay, I can get off these drugs and, and just get my life together and figure out what to do, or I can take another path. Um, unfortunately at that point in my life, I was not ready for a healthy lifestyle. And so this is where the introduction to heroin and meth happens, uh, because, you know, I just, I just needed something to feel better. You know what I mean? And, and I'll be the first one to tell you, like it worked guys, hundred percent. I felt better. It did its job. And then all of a sudden the toll started to happen. I mean, cause you know, at first when this first happened, you know, I had money in the bank and all of this stuff. And, you know, so I went through and I started paying for weekly hotel rooms and all these things. Um, but as most of you, you know, probably know and understand, like, you know, I, I burnt through whatever money I had within a pretty short amount of time. Um, and that's when things started getting pretty nasty. So I spent three years in homelessness in, in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I'm not talking about homeless, like I was sleeping on friends' couches and things like that. I am legitimately talking about homeless, meaning, you know, sometimes maybe once or twice a week, I would have enough money to try and get, you know, those awful hotels that sometimes get rented out by the hour. Mm -hmm. Every now and again, I could scrounge up 40 or 50 bucks to get one of those for, for the night or whatever. Um, but other than that, I was sleeping on the street, like, like, you know, looking for a shady place or looking for a place that, you know, when it was winter time, looking for a place that, you know, hopefully had some sort of warmth coming from somewhere. Um, and so it was, it was just, it was absolutely awful. And at this point in time, this is also when I start going to jail. Um, and so, and so they, you know, the solution in the United States right now, and I mean, you know, there are various politicians that are trying to come up with a better program. Thank goodness. 
but currently they have they still kind of go by this policy of having a war on drugs um, which hasn't worked for decades but they're still trying to do it right and so and so they're putting me in jail and giving me these criminal charges and and you know intending that to like somehow help in some way shape or form and it doesn't like immediately after i get out you know, I'm feeling very, very rebellious towards the legal system at this point. I'm just thinking to myself, you know, screw you. I, I don't have to listen to what you say. I'm going to do whatever I want. Um, and so, you know, this is, this is a long stint of my life where I am going to jail, followed by going to treatment that, you know, generally my parents either paid for or was funded by the state. Um, and I actually, you know, we spoke about this before, but I've, I've actually been through treatment 14 different times. Um, and ironically, I never graduated a single treatment center. I, I was wow. always asked to leave for one reason or another. And I just couldn't figure out why I could not get along with people. Uh, but it was something, you know, I learned, I learned a little bit later kind of what my struggle was. Uh, but to kind of round the, the awful part out, um, I ended up, so in Salt Lake City, Utah, they have a program called Drug Court. This is, uh, it's, it's the state's attempt to try and do something that doesn't involve incarceration. It's, it's trying to provide treatment to people is what they want to do, um, which is a great idea. Unfortunately, they're still working out some kinks uh, because there's still a lot of jail time required for, for these programs. Um, because, you know, if you're in these programs, it's because you're in the legal system already. Um, but it is an opportunity to get your criminal record expunged and things like that. And so that's why we do it. Uh, but even still, like the waiting list to get into these state funded treatment centers is sometimes one to six months long. And so you're sitting there in jail waiting to get into a state funded treatment center. So they're, they're coming up with solutions. They're trying to help people, but they're doing it in a way that still requires incarceration. So currently in my opinion, because of that, their success rate is still very low uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but if, but threatening a drug addict with jail is just not necessarily going to get you the results you want. Right. But with that being said, after 14 attempts, that is why I ended up getting sober. I'll be the first one to tell you guys, when I got sober, it had nothing to do with having an epiphany. I, I did not all of a sudden get a connection with my higher power. That's just not how that worked for me. Um, I was somebody that legitimately, I just had spent years in jail at this point, and I didn't want to go back. Like that's, it was just that simple. So my mindset was, I'm going to stay sober so that I don't have to go back to jail. And, and then, you know, once I am out of this whole drug court program, I'm going to go right back to doing what I was doing. Um, but, you know, things started to change a little bit. Um, you know, so one of the first things that really, really started happening was probably six to nine months into my sobriety, I started working and, and making an honest wage. Um, and there was something about that for me that just made me feel very, very accomplished. Okay. So the first thing that I do is I kind of get really into my job. Now, as you can imagine at the time, I'm still a felon in drug court. So it's difficult to get a job in the United States. Um, but I was able to do it. I got a job serving tables and I just found something that I enjoyed. So serving tables in the U S we do it for tips. And so we, we really don't get much of an hourly wage at all. We get tipped based on our service. And so it was kind of like a game for me. And I just kind of started enjoying it. I got to interact with people. I got to kind of have fun with people and it was fun. Um, and then from there, I felt more and more ready to kind of expand my social circle, circle, sorry. And, uh, so I got into, it's, it's, it's an organization called Fit to Recover, FTR. Um, this is an incredible organization. I wish there were more like it um, worldwide because it's a really, really cool opportunity. What this is, is it's a nonprofit association and it's a gym, okay? 
And it's set up kind of like a CrossFit gym is probably the best way to describe it. I'm sure everyone's heard of CrossFit, uh, but the intensity level is much lower. As you can imagine, they want to do whatever they can to prevent injury, you know, any situation for, for us as drug addicts that involves going to the doctor and possibly getting prescribed narcotics is a situation that we try and avoid as best as possible, right? At least for me, like that's important to me to not get hurt. Um, and so, and so I get into this community and exercise is something that I've always loved and enjoyed. I've, I've been a certified personal trainer since I was 20 years old and I go through and I start doing these things and I start finding myself connecting with other people in a, in a very, very healthy way. So for the first time in my life, I have these very, very healthy male connections with people that it, you know, honestly, normally I would not connect with generally my ego would not allow that. I would feel very uncomfortable making that friendly connection with somebody that looks like they work out. That would make me feel less than, and I wouldn't do that. But you know, we had something in common, we were in recovery. So I have these healthy relationships with males. And for the first time in my life, I'm building relationships with females that have absolutely nothing to do with sex. You know what I mean? Like it, it was not a romantic or a sexual relationship. I'm actually making friends with females. And these are healthy relationships. I'm like, huh, that's also never happened in my life before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I mean, you know, again, my codependency, which is, which is a huge part of, of, you know, why I struggle as an addict, that need to feel loved came from sex. You know what I mean? Uh, but then all of a sudden, you know, I found that I could feel that love and there was no need for sex. There was no need for these, you know, super negative relationships with women because I used them for something. Um, and, and it's not like I was using them, trying to hurt them, but honestly, like when you're, in that place where you need that sexual intimacy to feel good about yourself, it's not going to end good for either party. That's just how it is. And so I start building these healthy relationships and I was just like, Oh, this is why all my AA friends have talked about connection now. So we were talking a little earlier, AA is not necessarily something that I do consistently anymore. Now, with that being said, I still think it's extremely important for pretty much everyone in the world, but especially addicts to go through the 12 steps, uh, because I just think that it's a process that we could all benefit from. We could all benefit from that simple understanding that your way isn't working and you need to work, do somebody else's way, you know, actually getting honest with yourself and having a truthful, real conversation about things that are just not working for you you know, making amends, those are all things that are that are really, really important to do and understand. Even if you're not like a big AA goer, it's just a lifestyle. And it's a lifestyle of authenticity and honesty. And so I'm not a big book thumper. That's not really my jam. But I did find this passion. And I finally got the connection that I needed. And I had this mixture of okay, I've been through the 12 steps. And I have these other people in my life that are also in recovery. So I've also got positive feedback and I've got, you know, just positive relationships and things are going in a very, very positive direction. Um, and then my, my passion and the thing that I was most excited about finally happened. And I was offered a position teaching group classes at FTR. Um, and that's when things really changed for me because I didn't realize how much I loved teaching these classes and in particular teaching these classes with a vulnerable population who, who need me. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm actually providing an incredible service that can potentially help them change their lives. And for the first time, I just feel this very, very deep satisfaction with what I'm doing with my life. Right. And so that, you know, that experience was super, super, super cool for me. Um, and it taught me that, you know, for the first time I had the confidence, not the arrogance, but the confidence to understand that being a leader in my community and in my industry was actually something that I wanted to do. 
teaching others what I felt is something that I wanted to help them accomplish. And so, you know, it was super, super cool. And that's how I ended up getting into fitness training and nutrition coaching. You know, it's funny, guys, like when you find something that you're extremely passionate about, the amount of work that you have to do for that thing is at the beginning, I mean, here's some things that happened to me that let me know that this is what I was meant to do. Um, I didn't really care what I made. That wasn't really a priority at first. And I didn't have to chase it. Now I chase a little bit now because I'm trying to grow and, and broaden my horizons. You know what I mean? Um, but at that point in my life, all of a sudden people started coming to me and asking for advice and they wanted me to help them. And I was like, huh, okay, sure. Here's what I think you should do. Let me write you up a workout program. Let me help you kind of, you know, see what your daily food log looks like and what kind of adjustments we can make to that. Um, and, and all of a sudden I've got like nine or 10 people that I'm helping on a pretty consistent basis. And I was just like, well, maybe I should just do this full time and, and maybe charge them a little bit of money. You know what I mean? So I did. And if anything, like it ended up helping motivate the people I was helping more because now they're financially invested and they're saying all these great things about me. And so naturally they start referring their friends and, and it just kind of worked out to where, you know, I ended up in this position where I'm able to do some things that I was not able to do before. And Darcy's role in that is that, you know, she's got a pretty long history with her eating disorder, um, which is, it's pretty traumatic, but since she's probably going to be coming on here, I'll let her tell that story. But, but, you know, eating disorder from the age of 12, just very, very severe. And uh, so Darcy's role within our business is, so she does some nutrition coaching, but 90% of her job is she does all the back end work, but she is the emotional support for anyone struggling with an eating disorder. Um, in the United States, because of insurance and liability, not all nutrition coaches are willing to work with people that are struggling with disordered eating. Um, it's, it's a high risk client and it's, it's, you don't want to be held accountable for their choices, but there's also a commitment because truthfully, like it's very, very possible for some of these people to become very dependent on what you do for them. And so if you take on that, that type of client, it's not like you can just dump them whenever you want. That's not how that works. You have an obligation to continue to show up for them as long as necessary. Um, because, you know, I can fire my other clients. Like if, 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 so, if they're doing something that I don't agree with, or I don't like, it's like, ah, maybe I don't want to work with you anymore. And that's okay. But I can't do that with some, with a vulnerable population. But I mean, truthfully, because of my experience with Darcy, she was really able to open my eyes to the benefit of being able to help that population because, you know, people don't realize this, but one third of women in the United States struggle with some form of disordered eating. That's a lot of women. And so, you know, generally speaking, you go to somebody else and, you know, they're not necessarily comfortable with helping that person. Uh, but there's a sense of satisfaction that I get from not only, you know, helping somebody look sexy in a bikini, but also to help them make a positive change in their lives because it just, it just matters so much more to me. Um, but yeah, that brings us kind of to present day. Um, and you know, we, we are in a business now that is growing across the country. We've kind of, we've just started broadening that horizon and we, uh, you know, we do some podcasting and some social media stuff and all the, all the stuff. And, and we've just, you know, we work on a day-to-day -day basis of finding that balance of, growing the business and also just trying to help others find recovery. Um, I don't work with fit to recover anymore. I do. A, I, I still, I believe very strongly in service work as, as often as you can. Um, and so I, I donate one to two hours a week and I, and I teach a class or two at a place called warrior strength, um, which is very, very similar. Still, uh, you know, a gym for people that are in recovery. 
Um, and so it's, it's super, super important for me to give that time, but yeah, that's kind of what life looks like today. I love it. And there's so many aspects of your story that are incredible. And thank you for being honest. I think, you know, there's a lot of people, there's so much stigma around addiction today. And right. that's one of the things that I'm really trying to, you know, it's like, you don't have to be ashamed because of what you've been through, right? And you admit it, your history with the military and stuff like that. A lot of people are too afraid to say that because of the perception, like, what will people think of me? But the reality is that everything that you've been through has led you to where you are today. It's like life was training you for that very moment, right? Everything that you've been through, you don't have to be ashamed of. And, you know, I loved how you talked about being around like-minded people, being fellowship to me. Um, I agree, everybody should do the 12 steps because I mean, really, it helps, you know, all my my um, my friends who are, who are not, you know, alcoholics or addicts, they're always like, man, everybody should do this. And I'm like, it helps you build a foundation. It helps you gain honesty. It helps you gain faith. And, you know, like I deal with things a lot more effectively than I did before, but I think there has to be more to it. And I think that, you know, getting sober isn't enough. And I think you nailed it right. with the whole, you know, you getting into fit to recover, you're starting to work with other people, you're going to the gym with your buddies, we do the same thing on the weekends, we go for a walk. And Heck we yeah. talk about life today, because you can keep focusing on the past, but then you're going to keep getting that. Whereas if you focus on, let's take that same energy, and you and I talked about it before we started the interview is that if people in recovery took the same amount of energy they used to get loaded and actually did something positive with themselves, they could change their lives and the lives of other people. Oh yeah. So, so much. So there's, there's two things that you said that I absolutely love, you know, the, probably the biggest blessing that I get from my recovery today is I don't have to be ashamed of anything period. So I live in a very religious community, right? And, and it's interesting because you see a lot of people that are not necessarily following the confines of that religion, but they have to portray it like they are. And they're just kind of living under this veil. I don't have to do that. I have mugshots all over the internet. Like I have nothing to hide anymore. And, and I choose today not to, I'm not going to hide anything. If I'm uncomfortable with somebody, with something, I'm going to tell you. And, and I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. I'm certainly not going to be aggressive or rude or anything like that. But if there's something happening that I don't like, I am going to either remedy that situation or leave that situation and, and make sure that you understand I'm uncomfortable because that's the life that I live today. You know, if I, if I make a mistake, you know, generally speaking, I try and make sure I fess up to that bad boy as soon as possible. Because if not, I'm going to be a very, very unhappy person. And it's going to be very, very noticeable. Like I, I do a lot of things that require me to have high energy for a lot of different people. And if I've got something like that weighing on my mind, I'm not going to be able to perform. It's just not going to work. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like, you know, you look at, you look at the things that I've, I've been able to accomplish um, and guys, it's, it's not because I have a lot of drive. It's not because I, I am very intelligent. I just found something that I loved. That's it. I go and I live my life helping people by doing something that I enjoy doing already. I like to exercise. I like to have an understanding of what I'm putting into my body and the positive and negative things that are happening to my body because of what I'm putting in it. Like those things are important to me. I also like making positive connections with other people. And I love that feeling when I know that the majority of things that people say about me behind closed doors are positive because my job is to help people. And that feels really, really, really good. And so, you know, there's there, I'm sure there are other titans of industry that have, you know, done bigger things and made more money that don't always follow that philosophy. But for me, I don't really care how much money I make. I will always do this because this is what I love to do. Like it's, it's really just that simple. I would generally probably do it for free 
but the fact that I actually get to get paid for it so that I can, you know, pay my bills and support my family is just a huge and incredible blessing. Absolutely. And I feel the same way because we talked about, you know, I got rid of my corporate job a month ago. And this is the first time since I've been 15 years old that I haven't had a stable income. But right. I'm, I'm not scared because of what I learned in early recovery. I have faith that all my needs are going to be met. And as long as I always think about my purpose over profit, everything's going to work out. I mean, as long as honestly, I have good food to eat and good people to hang out with. Yep. I'm okay with whatever happens as long as I'm serving my purpose. Now, um, you know, just kind of, I love the dynamic that you and Darcy have in your business. I think that's phenomenal. Like you, you kind of uh, gave us a backstory earlier, but um, you know, what do you find are kind of the, the three biggest struggles that when people come to you, because I know food addiction runs deep in addiction, especially with people in recovery. It's kind of that okay, I've got rid of the drugs and alcohol, the pills, everything else, and now it's food right. that kind of soothes. What are kind of those three things that you really help people out or recommendations you can give? You know, there's there's a lot, okay? Um, so the biggest policy that I try and teach people, okay, I, I do things very, very differently than a lot of the nutrition programs that you have seen and or heard of. Uh, because if I'm being super honest with you guys, losing weight's not what I would call difficult. And, and I, I don't say that to lessen the struggles that you as a person may or may not have been through with your weight. Okay. The weight loss process is not that difficult. If you look at statistics, and this is just a study done in, in the United States, um, but in the United States, 80% of people that have over 50 pounds to lose have at one point in their in their life lost that weight like that's that's happened they've done it right which tells you that the weight loss aspect is is achievable is it difficult sure but they can do that now the real question is how did you do it because here's the reality of it guys if you did it in a way that required you to eat you know, chicken, rice, and broccoli every single day, every single meal for years at a time, there's, there's probably a good chance you're not going to want to do that. You, there's a really good possibility that you're going to get really sick of those foods. I don't care how many different barbecue sauces there are. I don't care how many different hot sauces there are. There's going to come a point in time when you're just like, okay, I'm not going to eat chicken anymore. Right. And so in the United States, you know, the weight loss industry is worth a little over $77 billion a year or something like that. And, and it's just feeding people quick, easy weight loss. And that's cool, bro. But it's, it's not going to serve you. And it creates eating disorders, and it creates a negative relationship with food. So Instead, what we try and do is we try and slow. So the big one of the one of the three things is we slow that process down significantly. You will never see an ad on my social media that shows somebody that lost 67 pounds in 37 days or something insane like that, because I don't do that for people like and, and the, the reality of it is, is that is just honestly, that's traumatic on your body. And if you look at the metabolic damage that you're actually doing to your body when you do those kinds of things, you know, just to put it in very simplistic terms, by doing that to your body in such an aggressive way, you're making it very difficult to do it again. Okay. And so for so many of us, we do all this metabolic damage and, and metabolic damage, just a short description means that your natural hormones, like your thyroid, your testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, start downregulating because your body is experiencing starvation. And so it starts downregulating its natural function. It starts slowing down your metabolism so that you can survive for a long period of time at those lower calories, right? But the problem is, is that doesn't rebound immediately when you start eating again. And so part of the reason that these people end up putting a lot of those weight loss gains right back on is because first of all, it leads to binging because you've been on this super restrictive diet for such a long time. And so you just go nuts. But on top of that, your metabolism is not burning as many calories naturally anymore. And so where your body used to function at maintenance at 2000 calories a day, 
Now your maintenance number is probably 1700 calories a day, which just creates more of a surplus. So slowing down is absolutely essential. Healthy weight loss looks like one pound a week. Like that's healthy weight loss, two pounds a week, maybe a little bit fast. You know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong. If you're somebody who has a hundred pounds to lose, there's probably a, a period of time where you might lose two to three pounds a week, you know, but for the average person, one pound of weight loss is great success. And what you should be able to do is you should be able to lose one pound a week and eat dessert on Saturday and, and possibly, you know, enjoy a slice of pizza on Sunday. Now, can you do that every single day? Probably not. But the majority of my clients, for them, the biggest thing that we try and do is we try and not make any major adjustments to their lifestyle. So if there's somebody that likes to go out two or three times a week, we help them continue to be able to do that. So slow down the process and then don't completely up and what you're already doing. Okay. Because you know, don't get me wrong. If you're somebody who has been eating exclusively takeout for weeks or months or years, you know, that's going to be really difficult to maintain. Like, I mean, at least here in the United States, you know, our food is not necessarily designed to be within a healthy calorie limit. It's designed to be as tasty as possible, which is great, but it is not very calorie efficient. Um, and, and in the United States also like our protein portions, for example, are very, very small. And that's just because in that food industry, protein is more expensive. And so, you know, they usually try and feed us more carbohydrates and more fats just because those are less expensive foods. Right. But you also should not have to go to the extreme of never going out to eat again. Like that's one of those things that just doesn't work. If you like to eat ice cream every night, don't just completely cut ice cream out of your life. Let's just try and find a healthier relationship with that ice cream, which brings me to the third thing, which is yeah, kind of a two-parter, and that's relationship with food and relationship with yourself, okay? So relationship with food means a couple of different things. First things first, we don't want to overdo the healthy foods so much that you absolutely hate them over time, which is kind of like that, you know, negative relationship with chicken. I don't want you to have that problem. I want you to enjoy chicken in a way that you want to continue eating it. And if you don't, then you don't and you eat something else instead. Okay. But that also goes with not feeling shame when you eat some things that are, that are quote unquote forbidden foods. We, we don't do forbidden foods here at DND. Um, I believe that if you have foods that you enjoy, you should be able to eat those foods on occasion. That's just part of what healthy relationship with food looks like. And so, you know, healthy relationship with food and then healthy relationship with yourself is kind of what we spoke about a little bit earlier. Guys, I've, I've worked with hundreds of clients at this point, okay? And every now and again, you find a situation where somebody, for whatever reason is making great progress towards their goals. And, and as they're making that progress, they're actually getting more and more critical of their bodies and more and more critical of themselves. Um, and I've seen this happen a lot where, where I've seen it, you know, it seems to happen, you know, this is actually pretty gender neutral if I'm being super honest with you, but you know, for women in particular, all of a sudden they're getting much more critical of their stretch marks even though they've lost 30 pounds, they're getting, they're getting much more critical of their muffin tops, getting much more critical of, of the way their fat looks, even though they're doing all of these incredible things. And this happens because we are not doing the inner work that's required to really gain that level of happiness that you need to actually enjoy your health and fitness journey. Because at the end of the day, guys, like, you know, I'm, I'm very pro, you should love yourself at all stages, you should love your body, whether you're 150 pounds overweight, or whether you're a little bit underweight and too skinny, you should always have that love and respect for your body. But the mentality that goes with these health and fitness journeys should not be, I hate myself, and I will love myself if I look a certain way. The mentality for us is very, very health based, where 
you know, we want you to feel more comfortable in your own skin. That's important. Like the appearance is definitely a part of it for some people, right? But that should not be your main focus. And that should not be the only thing that you have going for you that's going to keep you sober. It's kind of like, or it's not, sorry, keep you eating well and, and, and living that lifestyle. But I can relate it to sobriety because, you know, everyone always told me like, you have to get sober for yourself. You have to get sober for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't, I don't understand what that means even like, who am I to even care about myself? Right. And, you know, I failed many times with other different reasons, even great reasons, right? Like, like, you know, I want to get sober for my kids and all this stuff, guys, at the end of the day, it doesn't work. You have to get sober for you. And it's the same thing with health and fitness. Like you have to want to be healthy for yourself. You have to want to be fit for yourself and you have to, you know, work on that positive relationship with yourself to make that work. I totally agree. I mean, loving yourself is big, whether it's sobriety or or health and fitness. So I know that, you know, we're running out of time and I could probably chat for another hour. So we might have to do a part two. But um, until we meet again, Danny, how can people learn more about what you guys do? Yeah, so we uh, we have a podcast. It's the D&D Fitness and Nutrition Podcast. Um, I do a lot of Instagram stuff. And so the Instagram handle is at the letter D, the letter N, the letter D, fitness and nutrition. Um, You know, just as a precursor, my social media content is not a selling point. My, My social media content is just trying to put out good, positive information to try and help people um, as much as possible. But if, if you're on there and you need something discussed and you want me to discuss a certain topic, you want information, I would love, I enjoy those requests a ton because it, I mean, as a content writer yourself, you know, sometimes it's hard to think of stuff to write because, <laughs> I mean, we, we post on a daily basis generally. And so if there's something specifically that you need answered, then please reach out. I am so happy to answer any questions and help as many people as I can. And I promise you, you do not have to pay me for that. Like I'm, I'm super happy to just help everyone that I can. Awesome. Well, Danny, I appreciate you being on the show. And of course I look forward to connecting with Darcy as well. Um, But yeah, thank you for being so open and honest about your journey into sobriety and just how you found your purpose today. Hey, thanks so much for having me tomorrow. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me again on another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. I think it is so great to connect with other entrepreneurs in recovery because, you know, I remember when I came into recovery, I spent a lot of time looking at the differences, right? I would look at people and think, well, I'm not like them. I'm not like them. I didn't have their bottom. I didn't, you know, end up in a treatment center or anything. And I was finally told to shut up and listen, basically. And, you know, try and instead of looking for the differences in people around me to start looking and listening for the similarities. And now it doesn't matter, you know, who shares their story. I can always, always find something in common because no longer am I focused on what's different and justifying why I shouldn't be where I am. And so I encourage you when you're listening to these stories and, you know, listen to the things that you can relate with, right? Pick out the good stuff, pick out the stuff that will help you as well. Because I think that's also a part of building our own journey is listening to other people and in the areas that we're struggling in with specific beliefs, you know, find out how someone else overcame those limiting beliefs, you know, how they got to where they're going, because I think that can help us out tremendously. So always find the things that you have in common as opposed to the things that make you different. Now, if you haven't joined us already on our Collaboration Zone Zoom call party, make sure you do so if you head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash collaboration zone. You can sign up for as many as you would like. We're rotating time zones to make sure that it is available for everybody all around the world. But this is where I hang out with my friends who are entrepreneurs in recovery who want to scale their business and master their mind. 
And also, did I mention these are going to be recorded and released as podcast episodes? So there's an area in there where you get to share what you do, who you serve, and where you need some support in. You can connect with other entrepreneurs that can help you grow your business or complement what you're already doing. And we also do member training. So you'll have an opportunity. This is a volunteer base only. You can let me know if you want to help train the group for a 10 minute session and you can teach them about an area that you specialize in. Anyways, guys, I hope to see you there and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.